0: Welcome to episode one of All Ears, A Child's Voice, a podcast discussing all things hearing loss. We aim to connect parents of children with hearing loss and the professionals who serve them. We're your hosts. I'm Tatum Fritz. And I'm Jessica Brock, and welcome to our first episode. We're so excited to have
1: you. Today, we will be talking with Wendy Dieters about being raised by her parents who are deaf. But before we get into that discussion, we have Dr. Michelle Wilkins with us to talk to us about what child's voice is and what we do. Welcome, Dr. Michelle. Hi, Jessica. Dr. Michelle is the executive director of Child's Voice, So we're honored to have her here. Dr. Michelle, many of our listeners will know what Child's Voice is and what we do, but some might not. So
0: we wanted to have you on the show to help us discuss the important work Child's Voice does. To quickly inform our listeners, Child's Voice is a listening and spoken language program that serves children with hearing loss. We offer audiology services, early intervention, speech, and oral rehabilitation services, and a preschool and primary listening and spoken language program. We have locations in both Wooddale, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago, and in Roscoe Village, which is a neighborhood in Chicago. Our preschool, primary school, and audiology programs are all located in Wooddale, and then our early intervention services are provided at both our Wooddale and Chicago locations, and then at our Chicago location, we also provide private speech, auditory verbal, and oral rehabilitation therapy
2: for children over the age of three.
0: Dr. Michelle, do you want to share more about the services that we offer?
2: Sure absolutely my pride and joy my background is in deaf education and i have been an educator or an administrator of sorts for the past 42 years pretty incredible Yeah. yeah very exciting and for the past 20 years i've been here at child's voice so my heart and my passion is is part of the program here child's voice has a number of services that we provide beginning in early intervention. We have a pediatric audiology center here. We follow all our children in the school and many of our alumni. We're also a referral site for birthing hospitals for children that have failed the newborn screening. They could come here for um, testing. We also have a school program. Ages three to seven um, are in the school program. And our goal overall is to prepare these children with hearing loss to enter their mainstream school um, when they're ready, and they're competitive with their hearing peers. And I will say, um, we are experts at what we do. We have an expert staff that is made up of speech-language pathologists, teachers of the deaf, audiologists, a music teacher and then great support staff that support all of us to do what we need to do. And our kids do so well. Mm -hmm. And the major piece of that, I truly believe, is we are all focused to do one thing, and that is teach children with hearing loss how to listen and how to talk. And so our mission at Child's Voice is to empower children with hearing loss to be successful in all educational and social settings by optimizing their listening, their speaking, and academic skills. I think we do it pretty good. I think so too. (laughs)
1: Um, So one of the phrases that you mentioned and that will come up um, a lot throughout our podcast is listening and spoken language.
0: And to put it briefly for our listeners, listening in spoken language is a communication approach that focuses on teaching children with hearing loss to listen and talk through the use of amplification. So that would be cochlear implants and hearing aids. The main tenet of the approach is the belief that children with hearing loss learn spoken language best through the same way children without hearing loss learn language, through listening. Dr. Michelle, would you like to expand on listening and spoken language and how it applies to Child's Voice?
2: Right. So again, at Child's Voice, philosophically, we believe and follow the tenets that children will learn through audition to develop their um, spoken language and their language skills. So we stimulate the auditory brain development, helping these children gain access through a device that every child will wear, cochlear implant or a hearing aid to have access to sound. Philosophically, believing in those realms is much more than not the presence of sign language. Um, It encompasses really um, the art and the instruction of having children be keyed in to their environmental sounds, to be an auditory learner and to use all the hearing that they do have and what they are able to Received through their devices
1: what I really like about what you said was that it's not just the absence of sign language it is a full educational and philosophical system that requires a lot of knowledge both from well from our staff but then hopefully our goal is to share that knowledge with families so that the entire family system can grow with the child um, and that's really how we see a lot of success kudos to child's voice yeah go
3: us
2: <laughs> awesome is there anything else you wanted to add Oh gosh, I could probably talk about Child's Voice forever, (laughs) so possibly I could come on to another segment that you have and look at another aspect of what we do here. We
1: would love that. We would love that. Um, Thank you so much for talking with us briefly today, and we hope to have you on again in the future. Um, But next, we'll be bringing out Wendy Dieters on the show with us to discuss her experience being raised by her parents who are deaf.
0: But really quickly before we do, Jessica and I wanted to make our own area of expertise really clear for our listeners. So as Dr. Michelle just shared, Child's Voice as a program specializes in teaching listening and spoken language skills through the use of amplification. So this podcast will likely have a listening and spoken language slant since that is our background. However, while we are a listening and spoken language program, this is also a hearing loss podcast that aims, as we've said, to discuss all things hearing loss. So other modes of communication may be touched on to some extent over the course of this season and over the course of this podcast. Now, let's go ahead and bring Wendy on the show with us. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. Um, Wendy is a speech-language pathologist and listening and spoken language specialist, and she works at Child's Voice. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you do at Child's Voice?
3: Sure. So, my title is that I'm the EI and School Professional Development Coordinator. Um, but I So, I work in both the early intervention and school programs. I coordinate the toddler program services, um, the home-based and center-based services here in Wooddale. I do see a couple of kids for um, home-based and teletherapy, and then I help out in the school pulling some kids uh, for speech and work with a lot of the staff on professional development. What don't you do? (laughs) (laughs) I do a little bit of everything and I love it.
1: All right, so why don't we jump into our main discussion? Um, Today we will be talking with Wendy, as we said, about her experience growing up with her parents who are deaf. So, do you want to start by just talking to us a little bit about your family and your parents? Sure. So,
3: um, both of my parents are deaf, they both have bilateral cochlear implants. when we were growing up they each had one hearing aid because each of them had one so between the two of them they had two hearing aids Um, my mom had more of a profound loss my dad was I think more in the moderate to severe range they were both oral oral deaf is what it um, the terminology used to be and yeah so I grew up around adults with hearing loss my whole life a lot of their friends had hearing loss and and they all most of them I would say use listening and spoken language but to very varying degrees of success um, they didn't sign um, they were just sort of brought up in the hearing world so they lived in in both the, the hearing world, but also in the oral deaf world, which is in between, you know, the big D deaf world and the hearing world. So it was a really interesting, I think, perspective on, you know, how people with the same disability can function very differently based on the, the choices that their parents made for them. hmm
1: why did they only have one hearing aid each?
3: That is just what they did. <laughs> I know. It doesn't make sense to us now. That seems kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. because they had significant hearing loss in both ears. I think they aided their better ear. Hmm. Um, I don't mm. know why. Interesting. And maybe it was because, you know, when when cochlear implants first became a thing... It was only unilateral implants. And I remember when we started doing bilateral implants, my first thought was, well, that's ridiculous. Because if you're stimulating (laughs) the brain on one side, why would you need, if you're artificially stimulating it on one side, why do you need both sides? obviously now know much better but I wonder if that was the same philosophy with hearing aids Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is so interesting and then how old were they when they
1: got they you said they both have cochlear implants they
3: both have cochlear implants my mom was in her early 60s and my dad in his mid 60s Hmm. and they each got both of they each got their implants sequentially so my mom got one then my dad got one. Then my mom got another one. And then my dad got <laughs> another one. So we had to go through four surgeries, which was not not all that fun. Yeah. What, what prompted them to decide to get implants? That's a good question. I remember... So I was in college at the undergrad at the University of Iowa at the time, and I remember my mom coming up to visit me, and we had a meeting with one of the audiologists at the University of Iowa because it was a really good cochlear implant program. I think that she either found out about it from a friend of hers or possibly her audiologist, and she was just really interested. My mom's always been sort of – I don't know. She always is looking to improve herself, and she just thought, I think I really want to do this. So she met with the audiologist at the University of Iowa, and I remember them being very guarded in their prognosis for her. Um, But, you know, she went through a bunch of pre-implant training and then just decided, you know, let's do it.
0: Was she nervous at all?
3: Yes. Yeah, she was really nervous. Um, she was afraid. Well, she felt like she didn't have much to lose because um, you know, she couldn't really hear anything. Mm-hmm. So she felt like, well, I don't have anything to lose. I might as well try it. So typically, if you get an implant at a later age in life, your
1: access to sound is not as good as when you're a baby, right? So yes. what is her,
3: how, how has that been for her? What's her access to sound now? So she actually does quite well. She does very well. She um, doesn't read lips as much as she used to. I mean, she has probably open-set identification. It took a while. I think her first implant took up to a year for her to really become fully mapped and really start to understand what sound meant. Um, Her anatomy must be – I don't – know <laughs> what her hearing loss, what her etiology is. Mm-hmm. I suspect it might have been some sort of neuropathy mm-hmm. because she is such a successful implant user and that it, it's it's just odd to me that she's so successful with it mm-hmm. given her long history of, of auditory deprivation. Yeah. So she does incredibly well with it, but I think she's an atypical adult cochlear implant user
0: does she prefer the implant side that's on the side where
3: she was wearing a hearing aid for longer no now she can't now it just has to be both which is interesting because one of her ears was never aided yeah that's what i was thinking yeah no she really like she doesn't like when one of them is off they are either both off or they're both on Hmm. whereas my dad has a very clear preference for one of them is
0: it the side that had the hearing aid yes I thought of one other thing a while back. They a while. Oh, okay, yeah. So, like, the question the reason I wanted to ask about her being nervous is I know a lot of families that we currently see, they talk about that fear of losing the residual hearing mm-hmm. or the hearing that the child has mm-hmm. um, with their hearing aid and how that's, like, a big hurdle to overcome when thinking of getting, like, a cochlear
3: implant. Did that factor into either of your parents' decisions? Absolutely. Yeah, my dad, it took him, I don't know, he got his first implant a number of years after my mom because he was too afraid he didn't want to lose what he had he thought it would change he didn't want to go through like the rehab process they implanted his poorer ear first because he was too afraid to lose what he had I mean to us it looked like you don't have much to lose but to him Mm -hmm. it was really scary um and it took a while for him to get used to it he's still not as um comfortable with his implants as my mom is but it's definitely a vast improvement over his hearing aid do you do they are they able to
1: like describe to you what it sounds like I know that's a question that yes. all of those simulations that go around and parents find them and they always ask. So mm-hmm. what's their yes. what's been
0: their experience?
3: So the, their experience is very different than what our kids are going to experience mm-hmm. because they had language first. So my mom always said that it sounds to her like Daffy Duck or Donald Duck or Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I don't understand is how does she know what those things <laughs> sound like? <laughs> um, so I don't feel like they're very good – I think everyone's response to sound is very individualized, mm-hmm. and there's no way for us to know what another person, what it sounds like to mm-hmm. another person, because they're interpreting, you know, they have their own perception of of what sound is. My dad says it sounds mechanical to him, but I don't know that he knows what mechanical sounds like. Yeah. So I always get, you know, parents will ask me that, um... Parents of the the kids that I've worked with, and they'll ask me that same question. They'll say, well, it sounds like this to them, but that's not what it's going to sound like to your child because they don't have this prior knowledge. It's going to sound much more natural to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then they haven't gone through the same period of auditory deprivation. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. There was a YouTube video I was just watching um, that one of our audiologists, Dr. Megan, recommended Mm -hmm. at ASU. They had... um, a uh, student who has like single-sided deafness so on the, her single-sided deafness side, she's been implanted mm. but she has normal hearing in her other ear and they had her match like a sample have you watched that yeah it's so interesting Ooh. Roland and I were watching it last week um but they had her match like this recording to like what it sounds like the original recording to like what it sounds like in her implanted ear mm. and it was very close
2: cool. yeah
0: it was really cool it sounded a lot more like the recordings that they were
1: playing sounded much more natural probably Mm -hmm. because she was younger than a lot of the studies that they test those on. So Mm
3: -hmm. that's
1: awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, What kind of education did your parents receive growing up? They're both very interesting. So my dad actually, my dad lost his hearing to meningitis when he was a year old. To make that story even more complicated, he was born in Budapest, Hungary during World War II. So he was actually with, um, I don't know what you would call it, not a host family, but like a, he was with a a non-Jewish family that was taking care of him while all of this was going on, and that's when he got sick. So that's when he lost his hearing, and then he didn't move to the United States until he was 13. So in Hungary... There was no such thing as, you know, a special school for children with hearing mm-hmm. loss. It was just like, you go to school, and you figure it out. And, I mean, it was communist Hungary in, you know, the late 1940s. So he kind of just had to go to school and do his thing until he was 13, and then he came here and went to school at Lane Tech. Um, oh, yeah. Which, is, you know, as you guys are familiar with in <laughs> Chicago— um, No, I'm sorry. He went to the Bell School first, and then he went to Lane Tech for high school because those were the deaf and hard of hearing Mm -hmm. programs in Chicago at that time, and that was more of a traditional... He learned to sign there, but there were also kids that were oral. It was just Mm -hmm. sort of anyone with a hearing loss went to those schools. I think they just did whatever you know any child could learn with because the Mm -hmm. technology there was just no technology I mean there was technology but it was not very good so I think it was whoever could talk could talk and whoever signed (laughs) signed and you know they had they just sort of did whatever they could so but he still like through his schooling there he didn't Joined the really big D deaf community. He always, he, I think he had enough hearing to learn to, to speak. So that's sort of where he gravitated. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then what about your mom? So my mom grew up in New York, or she grew up on Long Island, and the, her parents sort of took the denial, um, were just not going to believe that our child has a hearing loss and she's just going to learn to talk and that's what it's going to be um at that time they didn't want to be different they didn't want their child to be different they grew out her hair very long so it hid her hearing aids she went to speech therapy you know constantly with a private speech therapist and then she was just mainstreamed wow. she had note takers um she was just ma- she never went to a deaf education program. They just mainstreamed her, and I honestly don't know how she got through school <laughs> successfully. That's interesting. She oh did, God. and she went to college, <laughs> and yeah, very very different time. I mean, this was you know my parents are in their early seventies, so this was so a long time ago. Things were vastly different. Has she ever talked to you about her experience, like in speech therapy? She still knows the woman's name, who was her speech therapist, (laughs) and she... I'm sure she is long gone by now. This was interesting. Um, Maybe we'll be remembered by our kids. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, so she she credits that woman with teaching her how to speak Mm -hmm. and with her parents for just, you know, it sounds really awful to us, but just sort of not accepting the fact that she was deaf and it's like nope she's just gonna learn to talk anyway and again that makes me wonder exactly what the etiology Mm -hmm. of her hearing loss is because I just don't know how it's possible that if she had a profound hearing loss and one hearing aid that she learned to talk that is just sort of incredible to me which is probably why I do what I do now yeah how does that like impact what you do now
1: that's a big question, I guess.
3: <laughs> I think it really number one makes me um, have very high expectations for our kids. My first year out of grad school, I worked in the Chicago public schools and in the in some of the deaf and hard of hearing mm-hmm. programs, and I was so just distraught by how low the expectations were for the children in those programs. And when I got here to Child's Voice, it was like this is what I've been looking for. This, these people believe that kids with hearing loss can really do this. They can learn to listen and talk. So I feel like understanding what my parents went through has given me, like I said, a lot of hope and a lot of um, I see how resilient kids and adults are and how much they can learn. So I think that's that's really helped me sort of see the the light at the end of the tunnel with really young kids. Mm
1: -hmm. Can we shift gears a little bit and talk Mm -hmm. about what it was like to be raised (laughs) by deaf adults? Sure. (laughs) Um, Is there anything that stands out when I say that? Like do you have go-to stories about this?
3: (laughs) Yes you want the edited versions or the unedited?
1: Um, Talk first just (laughs) like overall what what stands out to you. Like what do you remember? What challenges and positive things? And you already mentioned that you had a lot of family, friends who were also deaf yeah. or had hearing loss. So um, that probably shaped your, like, worldview a lot.
3: Yeah. I mean, I hope it's made me more of an, you know, empathic person and really um, – I think it has. Um, yeah, I, I think it has. <laughs> we think I, you're pretty empathic. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. I try. Um, Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of positives. I didn't know any different. I mean, like, these were just my parents, and I started—I do remember specific moments in my life where I found out that it was different, and that was like, oh, this is not how everybody's family is. Like, I remember um, being—my mom was with me on a field trip, and we were at some sort of, like, observatory, and it was all dark, and it was really quiet, and everyone was, like, looking at something, and it was super dark, and my mom— said something to me and she was so loud and it was just like completely unaware that nobody else was talking and I was like mom be quiet like I was so embarrassed and it was this just like moment that it really stood out to me as like oh they are different um you know my friends would come over and our you know lights would flash when the doorbell rang or the phone rang and the first time friends would come over they'd look and say like what's that (laughs) because they speak Mm -hmm. people when they meet them sort of assume that something is different but they don't know quite what and I think my friends growing up sort of uh, until they got to know me better didn't didn't know that either um yeah I mean we would Another thing that always stands out to me is me and my sister making phone calls for them and being such brats about it. When they would say, like, can you please call this credit card company because I can't talk on the phone. And we were like, ugh, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Which I know every teenager is bratty, but, you know, we definitely, (laughs) definitely. We're, like, at a restaurant when, um, you know, we'd see a a waiter or waitress, like, struggling to communicate with them. We would jump in and be the adult and be like she wants this or you're not you're not communicating with her correctly like we would be the advocates for my parents so I felt like it really taught me and my sister to like stand up Mm -hmm. for other people um it helped us I think be very mature Mm -hmm. Did you have to learn those,
1: like, self-advocacy pieces from your parents, or did you just kind of see them struggling and understand the other perspective?
3: Yeah, I don't think we learned it from them because they were not very good advocates for themselves. Mm -hmm. I think we learned the hard way from seeing them miss things, Mm -hmm. misinformation, not be able to communicate with others, and then we sort of stepped in. I think me a little bit more than my sister would step in and be like, "She can't hear you. You need to look at her when you're talking, or my parents are deaf. You need to look at them. Yeah. I'll never forget mm-hmm. my dad's it was his second implant, second implant surgery, and the resident came into the room and he started talking to me. The doctor who was performing surgery on my father started talking to me about what the surgery was going to look like. And I looked at him and I said, "I'm sorry." I am not your patient. My father is your patient. you're an ENT surgeon. you need to speak to your patient. I was just so angry and the um, attending the, his um, I guess the attending or whatever you would call the doctor that's above the resident came up to me later and apologized and you know said this mm-hmm. is something we need to work on with young doctors because they don't realize you know how to communicate with their with their patients. Wow. So, yeah, it's definitely, but again, I didn't learn from their example because Mm -hmm. they were not, and still to this day, are not good at advocating for themselves, which is frustrating. (laughs) Do you get mad at them about it? Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Especially being on the other end where we're teaching self-advocacy
0: skills to our kids. Right.
3: Our kids are, and I say our kids because we (laughs) work with them, so we feel like they're our kids, but they're in such a different world. And it's, you know, it's so important. I'm so proud that we have a self-advocacy course at Child's Voice that all Mm -hmm. the P2 kids go through. It's really important. I feel like my parents have missed a lot um, of opportunities, of communication with other people, and I don't want our kids to miss that. Yeah. Did your parents push you towards working with kids with hearing loss? Or were they sort of removed from that journey? My mom took, honestly, my mom brought me here to Child's Voice when I was in college because she wanted me to see it. Um, but that was the pushiest they ever got. They've always been really laid back about letting us find our own our own path.
1: Mm-hmm. Do they Do they ask you a lot of questions about work and, mm-hmm. and are they I mean it sounds like they're pretty supportive of whatever you want to do but this yeah. must hold like a certain place
3: in your heart, certainly, and theirs as well. Yes. They they love hearing about what I do. And, you know, my mom volunteered here at Child's Worse for a while. Oh, she I loves the kids here. They love – I mean, they just – they're always so impressed by the kids here, and they're so proud of the work that we do, and they're so grateful that these opportunities are here for kids that, that weren't there for them. Um, I think they feel that it's important for – younger kids to meet adults with cochlear implants too and yeah they love hearing about everything we do here they're really proud of it that's awesome that's mm-hmm. good to hear yes yeah
1: <laughs> as people who that's work good. here that's good to hear yes. <laughs> we love it <laughs> well let's maybe wrap things up um there thank you Wendy so much for joining us this has been a really good discussion and i didn't know a lot of this so i'm happy that we have it all recorded yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we we all have learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're mm-hmm. so
0: happy you're on.
1: Let's, um, just before we'll wrap up in a second, but we just want to say to any listeners, we would love to hear from you. Um, have you grown up with parents um, who are deaf or have hearing loss? Um, what are your thoughts about everything that Wendy has talked about? Um, please feel free to reach out to us. We are on a variety of
0: mediums so yes. if you wanna um sure yeah I'll go over them. So as <laughs> always we're on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at, at Tatum Fritz SLP and you can find Jessica at Jessica Brock, SLP. You can also email us at podcast at org and find episode show notes and archived episodes at Child's Voice's website which is childsvoice.org dot org.
1: Yes, and if you're interested in learning more about Child's Voice, the program, we are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Child's underscore voice, no apostrophe. Um, So, again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Yep, bye. 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 And from our friends at Child's Voice. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening.